It's that time again. We go beyond the jive. Join our hosts, John Swan and Natalie B. Brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. All you hive jive junkies out there, this is the hive jive. <laughs> so, so that basically starts off with uh with natalie going yeah i'm ready let's go i want to talk about this like come on <laughs> hit the button i got so, so much to say about this so i i sent natalie a few random links and i can post those into the description here on patreon of today's episode so that you can see them the 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 links themselves are very high level overviews. They are literally just meant for something to get you thinking or kind of put you in that realm. And all three of them are completely separate. They're, they're separate styles. So um, I guess maybe I should back up a moment and, and, and clarify what it is we're talking about. <laughs> Let's talk about what the topic is for today. <laughs> so 3D printed hives. I had this thing come across my phone and, you know, 3D printing has been kind of a up and coming thing for quite a few years now. And as it advances, um, there's all kinds of stuff. I've seen 3D printed homes. They were doing that down in Austin before I left. And there's, there's all kinds of applications that can be done with a 3D printer and even the materials that go into it. There's even some bizarre companies out there that are doing 3D printed food with edible things that go down into it, which plays back into a comment that I was going to make at some point. But so that is the whole synopsis. No scenario. Maybe. I don't know. My brain is fried um, <laughs> about today's topic. It's just 3D printed hives. And the initial thing that came across my phone was new 3D printed hives could save bees. And we were joking before I hit record that, you know, that's kind of the catch all nowadays for anything. It can save the bees, you know, even if it's not legitimately having anything to do with beekeeping, buy this wrist brand and, and it'll go to save the bees. No, it won't. You're taking that money and doing other things with it. You don't care. <laughs> well, that was my whole thing is like, that's a great way to try the market, your product to sell it to people because, you know, you're if, who's not going to want to pay and, and just kind of um, shell out some extra dollars to help save the bees. Yeah, right? I did my part. Yeah. I helped save the bees. I paid money for my whatever it was. <laughs> a lot of marketing uses uh, that very specific phrase, and it's just clear as day what you're doing is trying to sell your product <laughs> and 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 uh, just kind of catching the hashtag save the bees kind of a thing. Yeah. There's so much to unpack there, uh, and, and one of the first one. I would like to get it out of the way is that when we say save the bees, it doesn't mean necessarily save the honeybees. It means save the pollinator bees uh, and especially the native bees, in my opinion, should be the ones that we should focus on um, because they're the ones that are not getting a lot of help compared to the honeybees. There's not a lot of studies out there. Um, this, the effects of pesticides are not studied on those bees. The impact of the honeybees competing with them is not studied either very much. So those are kind of being left out. And in the grand scheme of things, that's what, you know, really uh, would help save the bees is to look into all that because the honeybees are not the only ones out there. And there's also something, the misconceptions. The bees are, the honeybee colonies are disappearing. We're losing 
we have so many more, uh, so many fewer colonies of honeybees than we did in during the World War II, right? Well, that's because World War II, they were using the wax to make C4, basically explosives, and they needed a whole lot of those colonies. So there was a huge increase in, in, during the war for honeybee colonies that was driven by demand. Uh, so the supply ended up following. And once that demand decreased after the war, number of colonies adjusted because supply and demand, basic law of economics. And it's not all linked to, um, you know, having uh, problems with the honeybee colonies. There are problems with honeybee colonies and diseases, uh, but the problem is not on the number of colonies that we have in the United States anyway. Uh, that number is still really high. There was a dip at some point, but it's still really high. So, Well, one of the other things that I would add to that from, from my perspective when I was doing a lot of bee removals um, my schedule and the fact that I was booked in advance nearly three weeks to a month out mm. tells me that it, it, especially where I was at down there, there was no lack of feral bee colonies in all kinds of things. Yeah. So they weren't, you know, they weren't really disappearing. I was not hurting for having jobs and leads and things out there because yeah. it was a never ending slew. And that was just me. There's multiple beekeepers just in the central Texas area, not out, you know, actually just in the Austin area, not even central Texas or Texas overall that were also busy and booked up and everything else. And we just couldn't keep up with it. So the, the mythos out there that the honeybees are disappearing, um, no. <laughs> it doesn't. So basically, there was so many more. Uh, I mean, we're, we've got so many more colonies of bees than we did before World War II now is, yeah. is basically the bottom line. So and another, mm -hmm. another big part of that, too, though, that it is not something that everybody takes into consideration and something that we've talked about before on the show, the main podcast and everything here on Patreon, you name it. The fact that most of those colony loss surveys and most of the things that people see when they hear the reports about 40 to 50 percent of your colonies got destroyed every year um most of those numbers are coming from your major commercial beekeepers and we've already hinted on the fact of how they do or do not necessarily take the best care sometimes of their bees right. because their their job is pollination or something else and they can make the splits and yeah and and recoup those losses and so that's a whole different scenario. Those are bees that are stressed out to the max and put in the worst possible situations with the worst possible forage in contaminated areas and, and everything else. And it's not that the forage itself is bad. There's plentiful forage, but the forage itself has been treated with yeah. fungicides and pesticides and this and that, or and genetically modified. Yeah. yeah. And then they strip that away from them and they feed them corn syrup. And, you know, it's, this, it's the worst case scenario altogether. So yeah, you're going to lose 40 or 50% of your hives. And that's the number that the news media puts out there and says, oh, it's this horrible thing. But us beekeepers, yes, you can have some years, especially if you've got you know, three or four hives where you do lose two and that was a 50% loss. Um, mm -hmm. But who knows, maybe if you had 10 hives, you still would have only lost two, you know, mm -hmm. and maybe if you had 50 hives, you still would have only lost two because you were, you were able to go through and maintain those better in a healthier environment and pay more attention to what the bees needed. So that's all that, but 3D printing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's go back to the subject and, and let's talk about, you know, that was the preamble with the marketing. Save yeah, the with bees. the whole that save the bees. Nothing. You see these things, save the bees. Yeah. Yeah. So 3D printing, there, there was three different examples. One of them, they were basing it on a 
they said traditional quote unquote war a style hive. And when I looked at the design, it's not any thicker than the three quarter inch wood that we would normally use to build it. But I don't know what material they're printing with from the 3D printer itself. So that that's my first set of questions is one, what would the insulative value of that be? What would be the R index of that material? And two, what is the chemical composition of that material? Because I did say they can 3D print food and food grade things and they can 3D print homes. So we, we hopefully have moved past the point of we're using a plastic that could off gas in and release chemicals and other things that are bad that could then leach into the wax and into the honey and into the brood. So I am hoping that that would be the case, but not necessarily, right? We don't necessarily know what the chemical composition of that is. And then it's going to be in direct contact with the bees. So that was my first concern is our value and potential contamination from the actual material itself. No, not that, <laughs> not even totally counting true. the other stuff. Uh, yeah. What you're talking about the one that they're 3D printing and there's hay in the between the, the walls. Uh, no, right? that was that was the last one. That one's the last okay. one. Yeah. So I'll I'll get to that one because that, that we can kind of build our way up to how they at least some of these designs are a little bit improved. The first one though, it literally it looks like the side shot in the image that they used. It looks like a, an end shot, like an end cap of a top bar hive because it's got oh, the legs one. that they come out and it's square. Yeah, but but they were basing it traditionally on a war A style hive. And, and again, the thickness of it really didn't look like anything different. So you were just replacing your wooden box with a 3D printed box. But right. what they were also doing though, is they were, when they were 3D printing it, it's leaving spaces and gaps and tunnels and things for technology so that right. you can insert in technology that monitors your hive and it's already then quote unquote built in you just have to put in the circuitry and the wires but it's molded so that it's got the places for all these components to fit you can you know sense the weight and sense the temperature and the humidity and the sound and the vibration and right. there's there's companies out there that do those types of things and you can buy those and add them to your existing hives this one was just being printed with that already in mind. So it could become like a plug yes. and play. So the advantage that they were touting was that because it was printable, it was also um, a packable. It was a flat packable. You could just kind of stack the pieces on top. It's kind of like a puzzle. Have you ever bought those little um, um, rectangles of plywood, very thin plywood with pre-cut pieces that you assemble and make a dinosaur, uh, you yeah. know, some house, some kind of, those are really um made to be optimized for shipping, right? Well, that's the same principle, just as a larger scale. I did look at the wood and it looked like it was um, some kind of plywood. There were several layers. And what happens is that I always tell new beekeepers, don't use plywood to build hives because there's glue inside and it's actually fairly toxic, especially in the heat. Yeah. The other aspect of this is that it disintegrates quite a bit. It warps, it gets damaged by water. So what is it really made out of? It would be one of my questions uh, that goes beyond the R value that you were talking about. Yeah. So the two models, there was a Colorado top bar hive and then uh, they called it uh, something worry hive. And it was just kind of interesting to see that they were focused on the two most bee-friendly types of hives. So that, from that aspect, was, I thought, very clever. Uh, but the bottom of the Taba hive was wide open. There were a bunch of holes at the bottom, which I didn't get. 
um, because you can't, you don't want to leave the hive open to other bees, robbers, predators, mice, all kinds of things. I'm assuming they were thinking about putting some screening on the bottom, um, but that's another aspect of things that I think um, was a little um, uh, problematic to me. The roof was also made out of wood. So unless you cover it with metal, you're really exposing the whole thing to the elements. Um, and the bars looked like they were just fitting in with crush zones. So there's that aspect of things as well to keep in mind. Yeah. So I'm going back and, and looking at it again. So that specific one, they're trying to do open source beehives that can be yes. 3D printable. And it's currently an Indiegogo. So like help us raise money to kickstart this business kind of thing, but not quote unquote on Kickstarter. Um, but so the fact that they, and I did notice that, I did think that was interesting. They weren't doing a Langstroth. They were doing a Ware and they were doing a top yeah. bar. And so from that standpoint, kudos. <laughs> yeah. And then even, even as you roll back into the, the third article that I did, the last link that I sent on there, that one is the one that you mentioned that was the log style hive. Yeah. And on it, it has a thicker outer barrier. It's round. So basically what they did is they, they've tried to simulate a log, right a hollow sure. tube. Yeah. Um, and it's got a thicker barrier on the outside than an inner chamber that they have stuffed with insulative material, which could be straw, you know, wood shavings, whatever. And then there's an inner barrier that's thinner and then the open cavity for the bees to actually draw out their comb. Now, that specific one is not intended for you to keep bees and harvest honey. That one is intended for bees to have natural nesting rewilding. Mm -hmm. in the wild. Exactly. Rewilding where you can put them in trees um, and it gives them kind of a permanent structure that's not going to necessarily rot, that is stable, that they can get inside of and you can kind of hide them out in nature and stuff like that. So that's also going back to a natural beekeeping perspective, but it's natural beekeeping from the point of trying to give bees a place in nature where they can swarm and move into that's mm -hmm. not the siding of your house or not the floor of your shed or, you know, the like seat. Putting an owl box out. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right. <laughs> in Austin, <laughs> there's a ton of owl boxes and the, the track for most of them is if you're super lucky, which most <laughs> people are not necessarily, but if you're super lucky the first year, owls will move into the box, maybe the very end of the year, beginning of the next year. But then when the owls move back out, and they, because it's kind of like a seasonal thing, they only use it when they're actually doing the mating season. The owls move back out nine times out of 10, squirrels will try to move in. And then inevitably bees move in and chase everybody away and just take it over. <laughs> and so people will be like, I got an owl box full of bees. And we were like, sure, of course so you do. <laughs> I've been up 20 feet in the air on the simple ladder, wind blowing in the very <laughs> precarious position. And bees, they were so mad at me because I was detaching the box and trying to lower it down. Yeah. Yeah, that happens a lot. It does. And, they, and we they did love that those. together too. <laughs> we yeah. did with that with that quote unquote owl box, which was the biggest freaking owl box I'd ever seen. Was <laughs> massive. <laughs> I'm not so, sure yeah. what kind of owls were supposed to live in that, but they had like a four room condominium basically. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, so so that one is a, is another concept. Now, again, I think that. I think it's novel. I think it's cool that we're able yeah. to use technology to do these things. But I still go back to the, what is it made out of? 
I mean, I, I understand it's a moldable material that can be injected through these printers, but what is its chemical composition? And is it going to potentially have, as we've said before, unintended consequences? Right. Because that's, you know, that's the underlying theme of pretty much Absolutely. every other discussion we have are these unintended consequences. Absolutely. And so there's a couple of things to impact. If you wanted to keep bees for, um, and it's just manage them, that's, uh, so the last two, I mean, the, the last one is not necessarily what you would want to do because you can't no. pull out the cone. You can't inspect, you can't really harvest. I think no. either. It's, that's just to help that. the wild bees basically quote unquote. Yeah. The, the first example with the uh, worry and the tabar, you can keep your bees the same way you would in the worry and a tabar. So you can inspect, you can do uh, honey harvesting easily. Let's talk about the middle one as well. That's the middle the one one is, that's, it's strange. It's, I've seen it. I've been. I've seen it around quite a bit. And when you go to their website, uh, there's actually quite a bit of uh, explanations and uh, drawings, and um, they really uh, break it down and give you like the inside scoop as to what this is made of, how it is built, um, the insulation. So basically, there's a cylindrical, also cavities, which they give to the bees themselves. Uh, and it's made, it's also got wool insulation between two layers of cylinders. And um, then it's got at the top a cap, like a skep uh, shape, like a dome that's uh, also made of that insulation into double layers um, material. And inside the bees can freeform build comb and they have an option for a queen excluder so that they can potentially have that filled with honey and then harvest it. So they can also, they, they plant a little door on the side so that you can, with a spoon or a scraper, get some samples from the inside, but um, and to, to do analysis of this for diseases or things like that, but you cannot pull the combs underneath. So if you've got any kind of issues with the colony, you've lost the queen, you've got uh, potentially uh, disease and you can't really tell, it's so if in the spirit of rewilding, you're not intervening. So there's that. But if you're a beekeeper and you're trying to manage your colonies so that you're helping them a little bit with uh, some of the issues that they encounter, you cannot do that because you can't go into the, the, the hive itself. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting because it's kind of a, in, in one regard, it, sort of reminds me of the bottle beekeeping that we talked about a few episodes it did. back. It did the same thing to me. I was like, oh, another, you know, innovative yet uh, maybe not necessarily practical kind of idea. Yeah, because it's 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 conical shaped. It's got the rounded top and then it comes down. It, it does literally look like a big tube or like a big bottle kind of thing. Um, and then it's got those different components that you were mentioning. And then they also have what almost looks like a canvas cover Yes. That can be put over the outside of it as well as an like additional, yeah, an additional mm -hmm. protectant. Um, but again, it, it goes back to that last one where you've, you've done something to quote unquote, help the bees by giving them a space, mm -hmm. but it's not a manageable one. The first one's the only one that's actually truly manageable where you can do everything right. that you need to do. Um, but ultimately though, no matter what, even on the open source project, I don't have a 3d printer. Do you have a 3d printer? No, I don't. No, the point in their whole spiel is to sell you their products. Yes, and, yeah. and it's a marketing thing, just like 
the um, flow hive. Right. Bits. And in fact, it's the same principle. In fact, the I think the first article is from Australia. <laughs> yes. So, and there's a lot of people that will compete and and leverage the save the bees thing to kind of get the money to start a company. Yeah. And, and some of them will have the um, the bees at heart. Uh, first and foremost, and not integrate the the goals of a beekeeper necessarily, and and that's okay if you're wanting to rewild the bees and just not do anything with that. Uh, but to your point, it's only true if the materials are not off-gassing some kind of you know toxic chemicals in there. So you gotta kind of keep that in mind. Yeah, that, and that's the bigger that was the bigger question with me is just the unknown of the 3D printing aspect of it, but. I, I I also don't know how much it costs for the materials for them to actually create the stuff. Yeah. So so you get into this thing about, yeah, you're making it easy and accessible. Okay. Uh, cost of wood is going through the roof. Sure. Mm-hmm. But how much does, you know, what is the cost of your core ingredients that you're using to print this stuff? And is it ultimately going to be cheaper or more expensive? Mm-hmm. And so you may end up with another type of home like the, the, basically the styrofoam ones, this, the, uh, polyurethane type yeah, yeah. homes that they have out there. Yeah. Polystyrene. There we go. Polyurethane is what you coat your deck with. <laughs> it's the shellac. The yeah, shellac. <laughs> so polystyrene, the, the thick foam hives out there, there's plastic hives. There's like all these different things. And ultimately, yeah, sure. There, there may be some value to it, but if you are a backyard beekeeper on a budget, it's kind of hard to beat you know, a yeah, two, by, so two by four, I, two by six, two by 10 material and just build yeah. something that's thicker and insulated and solid and made of a natural product. Don't, don't do the pressure treated, do the raw cut wood. Right. And you know, then it is literally made of the natural material that they would be living in that you're trying to mimic. <laughs> We're going to make ones that are made out of mud, right? So it's not a new concept either, but you could just very few materials and have very good insulation and do the top bar comp- concept because it doesn't require precision woodworking. You can get, um, um, you know, scrap lumber and build hi- hives out of scrap lumber completely that are thick and very well insulated and i would argue probably just about the same insulation as uh the ones that you have here except that you're leveraging the horizontal uh aspect of things which is much more efficient as far as i'm concerned than the vertical um version yeah but you know i mean i think that short of getting a whole log uh that's kind of like you know 10 inches uh, thick around the, the colony. Uh, that's kind of hard to, to um, replicate what's going on into a tree. So that's their attempt to do that with the um, insulation of the wool and the, the straw that they're putting in there. And that R value might very well be, you know, potentially there. As long as you've got the, the top well insulated as well, that from that standpoint, the thermodynamics are not I, I assume is going to be just like you would in a, in a tree trunk and optimize for a vertical uh, configuration. So from that standpoint, that would be better than the Langstroth for sure, by yeah. far. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No matter no matter kind of what you end up doing on some of those regards, it, it would be. And you mentioned doing, you know, like out of mud, making an Adobe type style. Yeah. Um, there's so less, you know, he's been in situations where they've literally woven hives like you would wicker basically. Yeah. 
And you could do something like that to get the structure. And then you can still coat that structure, like with the Adobe or the mud compounds mm -hmm. and put everything together to actually create something that may not necessarily be weatherproof, depending on how you do it. Like if it's not actually cured and treated right or have a lot of clay or something in it, but you can build something for a, not a lot and be very creative and it's still going to be more natural to them than mm -hmm. the other stuff. So it is really kind of an interesting thing. I, I just, I question sometimes some of these things that I see. I, I love gadgets. I love technology. I love the advances yeah, and things, but that's you know. what they are. They're gadgets for the most part. And the problem is that they come with a hefty price tag usually. <laughs> right. It makes it very inaccessible to most people. So it's very, I, I, I why well, that would be controversial of me to say that, but it's a very generation uh, focused and very um, type of um, people that like, you know, the, the just curiosity and to have the uh, ancillary income, the spare right. income that they can spend on that kind of toys. Those are toys as far as I'm concerned. They're scientific toys in a way because there's been a lot of engineering and thinking going through them, which is great. I love the creativity of it. The point is that they're not simple. And as such, they're not the people's hive kind of a thing, right? So they're not accessible to people that don't have the means. They're not accessible in all countries. Um, and, and just they're technologically very complicated in a way. Uh, so, you know, why make it so complicated when you can keep it simple is always been <laughs> my right. big thing. I don't understand. I don't get it. It's cool. It's fun, but it's a work of art as opposed to a practical kind of a thing. Yeah. In my well, opinion. and I mean, that, that goes back to, I I've told the story uh, a very long time ago about Mr. Kirkland, who, mm -hmm. who is an engineer by nature and likes to tinker and likes to build and does have some disposable income. And right. so in, instead of just building a top bar hive, like you or I would build, he right. built this thing that I swear, like material wise was four to $600. <laughs> Just in materials for him to build this. And it was gorgeous. It was like the Cadillac yeah. of top bar hives. It was beautiful. But he, it was only because of his love for tinkering and engineering yeah. and the disposable income that he was able it to do that. Great. Did yeah. the bees need a hive that cost four to $600? Don't care. No. We say um, that all the time. The bees don't care. No. And so another thing too, um, Gemma from the Homestead Hens and Honey podcast. Mm -hmm. She got gifted to her from her family, a top bar hive that uh, if you listen to the episode, she'll tell you all the details about it. So I'm not going to repeat names and things on here because <laughs> what I'm going to say is <laughs> it's going to not sound great. Um, I was, this is, this was back when I was still in Austin. I was listening to the episode where she was talking about how she got the hive and all this stuff. And she mentioned the cost of this hive. So it is a wooden top bar hive that comes pre-cut, but you have to assemble it yourself and, and put it out there. And she did not buy it again. It was a gift, but she mm. does know how much it cost. And she mentioned the cost and I about spit my drink out and drove off the road. Oh. I was like, holy, you know, like, and so I sent her a message and it like in capital letters, I was like, WTF, like, are you serious? It was this much. And how much was, was it? Yeah, it was, it was a lot. It was a lot. <laughs> It was a lot. And I'm sitting there from my experience and like you and Les and everybody, $75, $75. And brand new materials. Right. Brand Zero. new materials. Zero if you're getting reclaimed material, you now, can build it, for, build it for free. Right. Now, granted, there's some, some extra costs that go into this that you can take for granted. 
you have to have a saw. Yeah. You, you've got to have the tools to cut it. But if you have, even if you just have a handheld circular saw and a lot of patience and a steady hand, you can do this. If you've got a table right. saw, it makes it way easier, you know, right. but like you can make it work, but you have to have those tools. So if you don't have the tools, then yes, there's going to be some additional costs, but say you've got the tools of some sort to do the cuts and get a straight line, $75. Or you, <laughs> or you know somebody, or you can find somebody that does have the tools. Right, right. Make a day of it. Hang out with a friend. Hey, I need these things cut. We can do it as a project. It'll be fun. Spend some time together, whatever. Right. Maybe your grandfather or, you know, somebody else in the family, or, you know, maybe your son is, is very industrious right. and likes to do that stuff. And so you can ship it off to them and have them cut it for you. And then you still assemble it. But yeah, Raw materials, 75 bucks, and you put in the time and the effort to build it yourself. You have free plans out in there on Be Mindful where yeah. people can get the plans and they can do it. You can look online and find things. You can be creative and kind of come up with your own alternative versions to things or modifications here and there. Whatever. Yeah. And so, like, I see this and, like, I see the ones because uh, Man Lake, they, they sell a couple of versions, which I I don't recommend. I've seen them in person so, and I've seen them crash and fail every time. Um, they're, first of all, they're on one inch wood. Aren't they, they are. They're thin. They overheat. Um, the comb in the middle of the ones that I dealt with always collapsed. It yes. would just, it wasn't, it wasn't a great concept or design. It was, they were, it was just too much. But again, those are like in the $300 range, I think like two to $300 yeah. and you're still 75 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> like, I know. I'm still, yeah. I mean, two hours, you, you're yeah. done. Right. Yeah. So I, I will say that the one that she got as a gift was in the price range of the one that Mr. Kirkland made and nowhere near as, as high tech and pretty and finessed and refined. Um, cause that, that's what I was like. I knew what it looked like. I saw it and I, and, you know, she assembled it and had the pictures and stuff, but I was going back kind of catching up on the episodes at the time. And she, she did, she said that and I was like, like swerving across the road. I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> Your heart stopped for a minute. <laughs> it did. It did. Cause I was just like, Whoa, what? That came out of nowhere. I can't believe it was that much, but man, you know, just to each their own. If you've got the income and you want to do it, awesome. If you don't, obviously there's a convenience factor. If you don't know how, don't have the stuff, or just simply don't want to build it yourself, then yeah, you can pay the convenience factor and buy a pre-done one or buy a kit or whatever. Well, but that's, yeah, like when we have our plans available for free for anybody that wants to use them, but then there's people that don't want to do it or they just want to pay and, and buy it all made. So it's a little bit more expensive because you're paying for somebody else's time to go and fetch the wood, cut it, and assemble the hive. But you know, to this, to to your point, anybody who wants to buy a flow hive or one of those three D printed hives, I don't know how much they're going to cost, but probably they're not going to be very cheap, because, especially the one um, with the canvas canopy in the center and around it and all the stuff because it's fairly complex. Then you know, good for you. I mean, that's all good. We all kind of experiment. We all go with what works for us. But I, th I think the third one is probably going to be a little bit cheaper because it is 3D printed and it's fairly simple. It's just going for rewilding. And so there's very little technology going into it. So yeah. from that standpoint, you know. Now, you've, you've heard us mention the, the term rewilding multiple times here between Natalie and I on this whole conversation. And if you want to get just a little bit more information about what on earth... <laughs> That actually is um, one of the podcasts that we've talked about before on here is Mandy Shaw's Beekeeper Confidential. 
mm-hmm. where she goes around and she does talk to various different beekeepers from uh, really all across the United States and sometimes other places. And she did an episode here recently. Uh, it was... I don't like how it doesn't actually give you a date in my podcast app thing. It doesn't give a date, Mm -hmm. but the title of the episode is 18 bees. And that gentleman on there has a YouTube channel, I believe where his name, I want to say his name's Alistair. um, Or there may be some little flourishes in there that make it a little bit different, but anyhow, 18 bees. And he is in the Washington, Oregon area. And he does a lot of rewilding where he's he's putting out these logs, but they're legitimate logs. They're not 3D printed logs, but he's taking logs. He's working with the forestry industry that, you know, when they find things that would be suitable, then he can get them and use them and put them out there. But you can go and listen to that episode from Mandy Shaw, the Beekeeper Confidential, 18 Bees. And it was it was within the last two months, I think, that that one came out. Um, And you'll hear a little bit more about rewilding and, and kind of what that means. So feel free to go check that out as well. The uh, other resource is uh, What Bees Want with uh, Jacqueline Freeman and Susan Nealens. They are, Susan Nealens especially talks a lot about rewilding. They went to Europe to one of the uh, conferences. I forget what the, the European Natural Beekeeping Conference is called, but they fell in love with the works of Jorgen Turtz, I think his name is. Uh, he wrote um, the Superorganism book, the Green Book. Um, and then um, he writes a lot about, you know, rewilding and, and all that stuff. And uh, they were working with another type of hives that's not 3D printed, the Schiffer hives, I think that uh, that is called. And it's the same thing. They're, they're talking about um, how we don't need to be inspecting our bees and we can just kind of let the bees be, be bees in uh, hives that are um, basically fitting their needs. And it's just not necessarily inspectable and you just kind of give them homes kind of a thing. That's yeah. basically the rewilding. Yeah. And then, and that's the thing that he's doing up there is that he's putting them in, in actual logs and he is then putting them in places where they're kind of inconspicuous and you don't really notice them and allowing both a cavity for the bees to move into, or he's already installed bees into them and then he puts them out there. And so it, it's, it's providing places for the bees to actually take up, natural refuge in the wild in a natural cavity that they would find in the wild that is again not your home or not your you know a structure on your property or your vehicle or whatever um so it is an interesting concept but it, it is not the concept of it's not front porch beekeeping it's not it's not beekeeping at all it's literally providing a place for the bees to be wild and continue doing what they would as a feral colony out in the wild so now to your point uh colony be colony that finds a home in your walls is going to be very well insulated and it's going to just do just as well as it was in a tree they do so great. in a way <laughs> you know that's almost rewilding as well if you leave them in there yeah it is they're just they're just trying to give them a better solution other than the wall of your house right (laughs) Right. yeah Yeah. here you can live in this tree out on the back part of the acreage and still do everything but don't don't live in my ceiling or anything like that yeah that would be important to remember that um in even in those circumstances even in the best type of cavity log whatever you have a smaller uh brood's nest you still have some um 
you know, I mean, there's problems and that's what happens when they're left in the wild that you still, they still encounter issues with mites and, and uh, predators and robbing and all kinds of things. So, I mean, it's only giving them a home. It doesn't mean necessarily helping them no. kind of thing. It's more, it is a more natural approach to what they would have found had right. we not intervened is what it right. is. <laughs> right. And we no. can also intervene too much too. Like, like we can, we can oh. do more harm than good by being way overly helicopter B parents, you know, as well. So there, you got to find that happy medium in the middle somewhere. <laughs> Just like the dog is the biggest predator of your chickens. The beekeeper is probably one of the biggest threats to their own colonies of bees, especially in the first few years when they don't really know or when they're pushing too many manipulations and doing things for their own uh, purpose rather than following the bee biology. So there's that to consider as well. I mean, I would argue though, on, on the flip side, if you are, um, if you understand the bee biology and if you've got, you know, the, the bees well-being in mind and you uh, are a beekeeper that is managing them, you can actually help them out. Uh, you can just help with uh, disease issues. You can intervene by, um, you know, making sure that there's a queen in the colony. If there's not, you know, you can kind of save some of those colonies. Uh, and I don't mean by treating them. That's not the answer in my book. Uh, however, you can you can kind of like help them out a little bit if there's some issues going on at some point. Uh, and we're not going to get into that because that's not the topic of the day. But we can sometimes by intervening lightly and in line with the biology of the superorganism, just help them a little bit. Absolutely. So there you go. You got, you got lots of little things that have been mentioned that you can go through and do additional reading and research on and kind of see what you think about it and check out some of the links and stuff that we've posted down there in yeah. the uh, description of the episode and yeah, just see. And then feel free to actually, you know, put your comments and thoughts and things in there as well. Or if you've seen something similar to that or even had experience with it, feel free to let us know. That's always fun as well. So um, it's at least uh, food for thoughts and just kind of curiosity, kind of uh, research and novelty, you know, kind of definitely thing. novelty. I mean, I, I even fall prey to the novelty aspect every once in a while, though. I still want to get even though they are completely impractical. When I first saw the hexagonal shaped view hives that go know. inside your house and they can hook together. And I was like, I totally want that as living wall art down here right. in the wall. Like, right. but it's impractical, like for the bees, they don't get as much space. The combs can't get as big. Well, it's not healthy they're, for them. It's no, they're, they're segregated Goodness. out to where it's like this section only has three comb, but they're skinnier than normal. And this section only has three and you got to hook them together and they're not all in a clump where they can have their sphere, you know, and, and do everything they need. And one section can't communicate with the other section because they're not actually connected by that comb. It doesn't travel. So again, impractical, but it looked super cool. And yeah, I was like, I totally want one. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I understand. I do. I do get it. Some of that stuff is just really cool. But really I, I totally I'm with you. I totally would want one of those. I really would, except that I'm like, oh, poor bees. That's just kind of not cool to stretch them apart like this. And they don't make it uh, from what I understand from people that have that. They have to replace the colonies on a regular basis because yeah. they don't. it's kind of like an ant farm. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's not not ideal situation for the creatures. So but again, it is what it is. So there you go. Like I said, yeah. you know, we we all kind of fall victim to that. It's it's cool. Yeah. Technology is awesome. And invention and, and all that stuff is really cool. So definitely take it a look at it. Check it out. Let us know what you think. 
And yeah. uh, we'll we'll leave you to that for this week. So hope you enjoyed. It was great talking cool. to you. Oh, oh, oh. And, and don't don't remember uh, remember that uh, May twentieth <laughs> is remember. the Roby Day Natural Beekeeping Webinar. <laughs> yes, do remember, not don't remember. Do remember. Do remember. Do remember. Natural Beekeeping uh, World uh, Roby Day Natural Beekeeping Webinar. I can't even remember on HayesCountyBeekeepers.com. Yep. We'll, uh, and we'll, you'll hear us talk about more about that here in the coming weeks, as well as it gets closer. Yes. Um, we will, we'll even do an advertisement that we will put out there for everybody on the main platform as well. So, um, but yeah, definitely take a look at that. She's already got the lineup out there of all the different individuals and, you Jacqueline know, Freeman's on there. huge variety of topics and, and speakers and stuff. So you can get all kinds of information for that. So definitely go check that out as well. Yep. Thank and, you. All right, everybody. Well, until next time, be good. Be mindful. <laughs> Bye-bye. This Hive Jive production was made possible by amazing patrons like you, and we appreciate your support. To all our Hive Jive junkies out there, you truly are the bee's knees.